Welcome along to 20 Minute Topic. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as usual by veteran campaigner and blogger Greg Lance Watkins. Joe Biden will become the 46th President of the United States. But what will this mean for America? What will this mean for Britain? And what will this mean for Brexit? Do stay with us. Greg, I think, first of all, it's worth reflecting on what an extraordinary few days this has been, because Joe Biden has won the most votes by any presidential candidate in U.S. history. Donald Trump has won seven million more votes than he got in 2016 and four million more votes than Hillary Clinton got that year when she won the popular vote. It's been an incredible few days. It really has, hasn't it? Indeed, it has. And um, I'm going to make a confession. to our listeners, we've actually will apologise for it in that we haven't done a podcast for more than a couple of weeks now, purely and simply because it's been too volatile to call and whatever we said would be dated before we could even get it onto the internet. Mm, But here we are, at long last, we have a definitive answer, namely that Biden won by four million votes minimum. This is quite important, more important than people think, because uh, there are lots of claims that um, how could Trump have got so many more votes than um, were ever cast against Obama, etc., etc., and not win. It's quite simple and very few people seem to have tweaked it. In most general elections nowadays, in the main, the candidates are so flawed that a very high percentage of the electorate are not voting for a given candidate, they are voting against the other candidate. Mm. And under those circumstances, it is very easy to understand why more people voted against Trump than against Biden. Yeah, I think you make a very good point. The electorate in huge numbers, larger than ever before. Yeah, I think you make a very good point there, because if you compare what's gone on this week, uh, put it into some sort of historical context, there used to be many battleground states and even huge landslides like Johnson in 1964, Nixon in 1972, Reagan in 1984. You can see, looking at the map, the scale of those landslides. Nowadays, the United States of America is a country rigidly split down the middle with only between six and ten battleground states. And what has happened, I think, Greg, is that people have become very entrenched in their positions. Um, Those who are for Trump become very blinkered and uh, become riddled with conspiracies a lot of the time and are unwilling to see any other opposite side of the argument, those who are against Trump are vehemently against Trump. It's not just a mild dislike. There's a vehement, in some cases, and I don't use this word lightly, hatred of Trump. And in terms of the, the, the nature of politics in the United States, not just among the Senate, the House of Representatives, um, but also among the people of the United States, they are much, much more partisan than they were 30 years ago, certainly, or dare I say it, even 20 years ago. This is a fundamental change in the nature of politics in the United States. I think that is 100% true, but oversimplifies it greatly, in that if you look at the map 
of America's voting and you don't paint it in red or blue but in shades dependent on the number of votes in a given state for either candidate you'll find a very very different picture in fact right across America Biden increased the vote in what would in a normal democracy I say normal that is not to denigrate America's choice of manner of democracy would have shown up far more readily that he had won a huge tranche of votes over and above his rival now when I say not to denigrate America what everyone has to remember is that each of America's states is considered as if it was a country in American elections and it's first past the post winner takes all in the country each individual country falls into that category it does not reflect just how close they have been in the in that particular state uh, uh, hang on hang on this is this is very very important because what i have just illustrated does go somewhat against the points you've just made where really now there are in this election there have only been six to ten battleground states going back several months people the same things kept, kept coming up whether you know wisconsin was something that came up a lot ohio florida these are the battleground states there's only six to ten of them nowadays historically there were far more but the the, the, the other point you made i think is very very valid because you this system of um, the electoral college which is really what you're referring to where they have an electoral college system and it is winner takes all in that sense and that dates back to the the, the very beginnings of the united states um, where the, the smaller states that wanted to become a part of it were concerned that their influence would be swamped out by bigger states with a bigger population. Hence, the electoral college system tries to counterbalance that by ensuring that the smaller states with the smaller populations have a significant say in it. That's, that's the history of that. But in terms of the partisanship of the United States, there really were in this election six to ten battleground states. Now, if you said that to somebody in 1964 or 1972 or 1984, that would have sounded crazy because they were huge landslide wins. We, you think back to 1984, that was the most recent in this context. People talked about the Reagan Democrats, didn't they? Reagan himself was once a Democrat who switched to the Republican Party, and he managed to appeal to those who would normally vote Democrat, which helped him to a landslide victory. Um, now, talking about where we go from here, there are good reasons not to like Joe Biden. And you alluded to people voting for Joe Biden because he wasn't Donald Trump rather than because of any great like of him to quite a large extent. In terms of what's not to like about Joe Biden, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, Greg, because for me, it's his, the things that concern me, historically, his poor track record in terms of his voting record as a congressman on issues of race relations in particular and his business dealings, which have been brought into the limelight, have been matters of concern. If you were to articulate briefly, if you would please, reasons not to like Joe Biden and his track record, what areas would you focus on? I would focus on one very major one, and that is that 
he's had eight years as vice president of America. He has had a total of 47 years of being returned by his state. And in all that time, he's never done anything very dramatic or noticeable. He's been a very grey politician with views and um, the occasional serious gaffe, in my opinion. Uh, but he hasn't been a, a politician of consequence. He hasn't driven through any great uh, bills or any great issues uh, through the American parliamentary system at any level. He is a bit bland, um, but still marmite in many areas. And what areas concern you in that sense? Because I mentioned his track record in race relations was not very good, to put it mildly, going back 40-odd years. And comments he made as recently as the 1990s were not great. What areas do concern you in terms of his track record over what has been a long period of time? Well, as race relations go, I think he's doing considerably better than any past president. He has put in, as his vice president, a somebody on the other side of that racial divide. Yeah, now, that, 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 that's, a, that's a valid deal. point. Yeah, that, that's a very good point about Kamala Harris, and we, we're going to talk about her a little more in a moment. In terms of his voting record historically, and comments he made historically, I am a believer in leaving the past where, it's, where it belongs and people do change their minds, but he's never confronted it head on in terms of, I used to think this and now I think something totally different. It's always been a sort of a murky area. People were concerned about it, weren't they? Uh, yes, but as I say, I see him as somewhat bland. He is a man who has been hanging on to and climbing the greasy pole of politics and he's been doing it for the best part of 50 years. And during that time, he lost his wife and daughter in a car crash and still continued serving his people. He had extreme difficulties with his son and still continued serving his electorate. And I think much of what he has said in the past has been a matter of hanging on to the greasy pole. And like many politicians who don't have a very visible track record, he is somewhat mired by the grease. Mm. I want to move on now the discussion to Joe Biden's cognitive abilities, because I can remember staying up late one night in 2008. There was a vice presidential candidate debate between him and Sarah Palin. And I remember that night being very impressed with the way actually both of them performed in that debate. I thought it was stronger than either Obama or John McCain, the late John McCain, in the debates they had. And I watched a little bit of that back recently. And there is a marked decline in Joe Biden's uh, cognitive abilities, the way he speaks. He seems to speak in staccato phrases nowadays. Um, he's made a number of gaffes. I mean, there's, there's one video doing the rounds on social media where he claimed he'd been in the Senate for 180 years. <laughs> I knew he was old. I didn't realize he was that old. But look, as we get older, we become a little more dependent on others. Our energy levels aren't what they used to be. That's to be expected. But I think something else has happened here. Now, to make a comparison, a world I understand pretty well, um, sports commentary. 
Now, I can think of certain sports commentators who got to a certain age and should have retired long before they did. And there was a decline in their abilities, not because they had dementia, but because from when you're seeing a, a live sporting event, from the time it registers in your brain to the time the words come out of your mouth, that process slows down with age, it affects more, some people more than others. But that's one thing in sports commentary, you, you know, they, they, their ability to articulate what they're seeing slows down and therefore their, their performance declines as commentators. You have a conversation with them in real life and they seem perfectly all right. So that's an example of not dementia, but the brain slowing down. Uh, that wouldn't bother me. That wouldn't bother me if that was my concern about Biden. What does bother me is that we've seen numerous times over recent months, he does seem somewhat not with it, if that makes sense. Um, I would agree with you. Uh, his debate with, um, in previous elections, has been excellent. Um, he has not been as sharp, but this time round, he's also been under a far greater pressure. Um, so I uh, I'm inclined to give him some leeway. Yes, there is no doubt he is not as fast on his feet as he was 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, this is not that concerning to me. One, he has a young and very fast on her feet public prosecutor of no mean ability as his vice president. Secondly, he has a colored vice president who will be more aware of the race issues than would be yet another middle-class, middle-aged white. So he has an automatic check and balance in his vice president. Also, he is likely to make far greater use of the civil service of America than has the past president who merely fired them when they didn't flatter him. So Kamala Harris then, as you rightly say, she's very bright, very articulate, has got an impressive track record. There are considerable claims that Joe Biden, I don't mean this rudely, but if he makes it to 2024, that he would stand aside and she would have a good run at becoming the Democrat Party candidate then. However, there's been a lot of noise made, not just on social media, but in traditional media in the Sunday newspaper columns today, that she is very left-wing and very woke. And does she have an agenda in that regard in terms of wokeness? Or do you believe that she will be a very capable public servant with a sense of balance on these issues? I think she is a, of consummate ability. I think she will acquit her duty before she acquits her prejudice. I have every confidence she will do that because she is aware of um, two very strong things. She is the fir first woman who has independently got to that office. Secondly, she is the first woman of colour of mixed origins in that her father was from Jamaica and her mother was from Kerala in southern India, um, Tamil area. So she will be more aware of international events 
there is no doubt that she will have a broader brush and will have a direct experience. And then when it comes to South America, Joe Biden has been on official visit to South America for the government of America 26 times. So they are far more conversant with international affairs. I believe that she is inclined to being left wing, but when you think that the wings have basically fallen off of politics nowadays, particularly in America, where it is personality politics a great deal of the time. In the time, in the time we've got left, because time is against us now, and uh, for those who are wondering, Greg is effectively broadcasting from an aviary today. That's what we can hear in the background, I think. But um, in, in, in terms of our own country, and this is where I want to go with this in the time we've got left, what does a Biden presidency mean in terms of Brexit? Because Biden does not have a close relationship with Boris Johnson. Um, there are indications that the EU and Ireland will be his priority. Remember, there are a lot of votes in um, Biden is of our Irish ancestry. We know that. In terms of, as Douglas Murray was saying on LBC earlier this afternoon, the big thing that Biden has, and the people around him have made clear, is that in terms of Brexit, their priority is protecting what they call the Good Friday Agreement. The Belfast Agreement is actually its correct name. And that will, the integrity of that will take priority over any trade talks. Nigel Farage, with his usual um, exaggerated tones and his usual sucking up to Trump, has gone further and said, oh, three or four years have been wasted by Theresa May and Boris Johnson. Trump was ready to do a deal. Um, and now that opportunity is gone forever. I suspect that the truth is somewhere in between. If the issue of the Northern Ireland border can be resolved satisfactorily in the months ahead, I think that the door will still be open in terms of a trade deal if Boris Johnson or whoever Boris Johnson's successor is, if he is out of office himself within a matter of months, which is entirely possible, is willing to build up a rapport with this administration. Your thoughts on that, please? I think that Biden has been in politics for a very long time. 50 years of having everything you said over the last 50 years analysed um, can leave you with some embarrassing situations. I think there's a very good probability that now he has the ultimate responsibility, his comments will be more measured. I would ask him, but more particularly Kamala Harris, to actually sit down and read the Belfast Agreement. I doubt either of them have read any of it. So I think that we should be discussing this in the context of current situations and the Belfast Agreement, not the populist concepts that are called the Northern Ireland Agreement or the Good Friday Agreement. It is very clear that we are abiding by the Belfast Agreement. It is not Britain that is trying to put in a hard border. It is Europe. One issue we haven't had time to talk about in this podcast is the reality that when we're recording this early on Sunday evening, that um, the Democrats have not won Congress. And historically, what that normally means is if 
the party in control of Congress is not the same party as the president, they can put a break on his program of policies to quite a large extent. And what's necessary is for compromise and for reaching out between the barriers of the two parties to find a way through. And in the era of people like John McCain, he was a master at doing this sort of thing, finding a way forward, finding a balance to get a program of government implemented. US politics is currently in such a state that people are very entrenched in their positions that finding that compromise and finding that dialogue and that common ground and that rapport between parties is going to be much, much more difficult. But that's where we are at the moment. My thanks as always to Greg. My thanks as well to his zebra finches, his birds for their contributions to this podcast. And my thanks as always to you for listening. No doubt we'll be returning to um, the situation in the United States in the weeks and months ahead. That's all for this week. Join us again next time.